This week on Center City Overtime, we take a look at the pneuma of God, what it means to be filled and what it means to be baptized, how he changes us and how he equips us to change the world. You don't want to miss this one. Make sure you like, subscribe. Let's get it. Welcome to Center City Overtime, a weekly podcast where we take a little more time to dive into Sunday's message and today a little more time to celebrate a Panthers victory. Big win. Let's yeah. go. We got a dub. We did. Super excited. It's a field goal, but I don't even want to talk about that. Like we won. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a little dramatic down at the end. A little bit. I had a lot of text messages with people who were either watching or at the game. And um, there was a lot of, I think I'm going to be sick. I can't look. <laughs> um, just the, the way that he had to kick it twice and penalties and that sort of thing. But we won. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And I, the, um, it, it didn't help that he missed the f- the freebie at the beginning of the game. No. I think um, our, our, yeah, our, our confidence that, that brought was my little, heart right up. Yeah, <laughs> confidence was a little uh, was a little rocky, but we won. We did win, yeah. and Bryce did well. He, he did. did really well, and that was a big deal, you know, because this was the. Pardon me while I adjust my headphones. This was the um, number one pick against the number two pick yep. of the rookie quarterbacks, and um, so I feel like. I mean, I know the story is bigger. Bryce in his press conference was quick to say it's not one versus one out there, but it still kind of feels good to get this win. I mean, to get any win at this point yeah. is good is good news, and I'm excited about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So welcome to Panther Nation. Woohoo! Super Bowl bound. <laughs> Super. Yeah. I don't know if I'd go that far. I don't even know how much you can celebrate. Like some people were going crazy, and I wanted to be like. Guys, it's our first win, and it's November this week, so like, <laughs> let's not get too excited, but good place to start. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, yeah. speaking of starting, we're on the last week of our Ruach series. Ruach, <laughs> yeah. and the congregation did that so well Sunday. So well, both mm-hmm. services, they did a really good job of that. Um, I feel like we've gotten the hang of it a little bit more, too, which is why we moved on to NUMA this week. (laughs) And um, so just to kind of clarify, I know you mentioned it in the service. We have the Old Testament that was written in Hebrew. And so that's the word ruach is Hebrew word. Mm -hmm. And then the New Testament, which was written, you know, generations later than the Old Testament was written in Greek. And NUMA is a Greek word. But both of them have that same multiple meanings of the word that can be breath or wind or spirit. So they really are, for our purposes as English speakers, interchangeable. And um, pneuma is a little bit easier to say. Absolutely. You actually <laughs> see the word pneuma used, uh, use the phrase interchangeable. And that's, it's a, that's a safe word to, to use. Like you use it when, um, well, we see it when it's being used again in the same way uh, as describe, describing the spirit of God, but also the spirit that dwells within us, the spirit. The spirit that stirs us, and so Siri is trying to jump in with a pneuma in um, uh, definition. So thanks for that, Apple. Um, but for the most part, it really is a one-to-one mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes. Yeah, yeah, and I love every week kind of. I don't think that we necessarily intentionally set out to do this, but every week we kind of started off with an illustration about what happens in our physical bodies when it comes to breath or not having breath. And I really thought this week's was powerful. So before we get into the actual specifics of Pentecost and Numa and what we talked about, I want to talk about that. Um, you didn't actually put it in the notes, but when your body's deprived of oxygen, I can't remember the name of that MMA hold. Oh, the rear naked choke. Yeah, Ash. that's. I almost we have a we have a, a young lady in our church who is a um, uh, is learning jujitsu. 
I believe it's jujitsu. So every week we have a little conversation about mm -hmm. how her, her jujitsu is going. She actually has a competition coming up in a couple of weeks. And um, I keep asking her, so have you put your husband in a rear naked choke yet? And she's like, he won't let me. He won't let me. But yeah. <laughs> oh, understandably, because what happens when you get put in yeah. one of those chokes? Is it? Yeah. What happens? Oh, I'm sorry. I oh. you were, yeah, so technically, uh, it's a way of finishing a fight because once you deprive the the body of air, I mean, first thing that happens is an increased heart rate. Um, that that increased heart rate we've all kind of experienced, like mm -hmm. whether we've been in a rear naked choke or maybe almost drowned or or even the sense of drowning will set your heart to begin to, to, to race. There's a rhythm between mm -hmm. your heart and the lungs in order to create as much blood as possible in order to get that uh, oxygen-rich blood to muscles and things of that nature. So um, there's that heart rate jump that we see. And then that heart rate jump usually leads to dizziness. That dizziness from time to time leads to the narrowing of vision and um, lips begin to turn blue as blood leaves the face. That's normally where you can tell a fighter really got the, the, the lock you know, kind of set in. Mm -hmm. um, and then nausea, hearing goes, judgment, you begin to get disoriented. The body starts responding weird. Um, if you're not careful, after about three minutes, it's when the brain actually starts um, losing brain cells. So brain cells start dying. That's the one part of the conversation where things start getting ugly because mm -hmm. it's it's it, you can't repair that damage. To this point, Adding oxygen back to the body, blood comes back to the face, your vision clears up, your head stops being dizzy, your heart rate calms down. But if you're not careful and you deprive your body of too much oxygen, after about three and a half minutes, um, the body starts losing brain cells and that's you can't recover from that. Eventually, enough of your brain dies, organs start shutting down because there's no signal. And uh, once your organs start shutting, shutting down, it's basically, it's the end of it. Yeah, yeah. so... People apparently do this for fun as a hobby, and that's crazy to me. But I think it is such a good illustration of what it looks like when we um, when we make choices or deprive ourselves of that breath of the Holy Spirit. Like I hadn't thought about this a lot until you're talking about Samson not having vision, but I think even starting with that idea that our vision blurs, like when we go yeah. a certain amount of time, and really. Maybe you can speak to what that would look like, but I think of this as almost like as people walking with the Lord who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, when we kind of ignore the voice of the Spirit, that, that that's kind of what I'm thinking of as the relatable scenario. Would you say that that's a fair... Yeah, I think um, what ends up happening is, you know, it's, it's the things that you were able to see before that you can't see now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, because of the wisdom and discernment of the spirit that dwells within us, there is this, this ability that we develop as believers to discern. We use that word quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And really, it's just the ability to see what we might not have seen before. And I do feel like as we begin to ignore our relationship with Lord and we begin to disconnect from our relationship mm -hmm. with the Ruach that lives within us, uh, the Numa that lives within us, um, there is this, this point where we start losing that ability to see what we would normally have seen. Mm -hmm. um, the things that we have, you know, attuned our spirit to, we, we're not in tune to, and, and our vision does go, and we start finding ourselves, um, you know, disoriented, yeah. for lack of a better term. Yeah, and it even goes, so you said the vision is what caught me. And then that idea that it changes the way that 
we think like you can't make good decisions. I can't remember exactly how you said it, but like, it's not that you're losing consciousness yet, but <clears throat> your brain stops working the way that it does. And I just, yeah. it was, it was almost like, um, it was just a reminder that there have been some seasons in my life where I'm like, that is exactly what it's like. Like you start by making one or two choices. It's just like, well, I'm going to go do this instead of spending time with the Lord or, you know, and then down the road, you're like, I'm not even thinking the way that I yeah. used to think. Well, the judgment being impaired mm-hmm. is, that's, is what that's I what it was. into. Yeah. Like you mm-hmm. just, you don't make the decisions. This It's tough to be clear. Like you're not clear minded. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually you lose that ability to hear the voice of God. And, and, and even that, like, it's not that the, I'm, you know, theologically we can jump down this path if we want, but I've, I've never been a proponent of the idea that God stopped speaking. Mm-hmm. I'm more the proponent in the idea of what we read in scriptures more often than not people stop listening. Yeah. So I do feel like when we deprive ourselves and we make ill decisions and we ignore the stirring and the leading of the spirit in our lives, there is this point by which we begin to stop hearing the voice of God. Um, and at that point, not only do we make bad decisions, like we're not even hearing what the right decisions are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that, that, that coldness that develops. And um, the writer in the, in Ezekiel actually talks about a stony heart. And yeah. I think that that's the point where, well, there's no breath, the, the body, the, the heart begins to freeze up. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I love, you talked about physically, you reach a point of no return. But I think like one of the things we keep coming back to is the beauty of God is that that's not true. There's always an opportunity to repent. I know that's like a scary church word, but really... Repentance is a gift. It means that we can say, I've gone the wrong direction. I want to turn around and go back to God. And that spirit will come fill us and give us that breath again. Yeah. So in, in, in the MMA world, like we talked about, or whenever we deprive our body of oxygen, after that three minutes, there's irreplaceable, I mean, irreparable. Ir- irreparable damage being done. Um, and yet in scripture, what we read is he begins with the renewing of our mm-hmm. mind. So like, you know, no matter how far you are, no matter how distant you've become, no matter how much you've quote unquote deprived yourself of that ruach, um, that like Samson, it's just that moment where you pray, God, remember me. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's that coming back to that repentance, that, that moving away from, uh, uh, the things that kind of got you dizzy and moving towards the one that you know is safe and secure and right and holy. Um, that, that God, uh, is able to restore in a moment what, you know, is, is taking years to decay, which I love. I've always loved yeah. the picture of you. Yeah, I love that too. And then to take that passage from Ezekiel that you just mentioned and that you preached on Sunday, he removes that heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. And I actually remember the very first time that I really learned as a middle schooler and then high schooler what it meant to have kind of my own prayer life. I grew up in a church where we read a lot of prayers that were really beautiful. But at summer camp, I would go to this thing at night that was optional called Prayer Warriors. And the counselor who led it would pray every single night, remove our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. And, um, And so that was the first thing that ever I was like, I want that and became one of my first, just like, I feel like the Lord gave me this scripture that is going to be one of my life things to pray. Um, so it's really cool to see that that's actually in the context of God giving his spirit is how he does that. And, and so today we're going to talk a little bit about the, the ways that Numa 
or Ruach or spirit interacts with us. We're just a multilingual podcast. Come on. But I thought because this topic can be one that um, people can have kind of emotional responses when you say you're going to talk about the infilling and the baptism of the spirit. And um, we've even had a little bit of response from people positive response that we're just like, I wasn't sure exactly what this was going to be. So I, I thought we could start out maybe by sharing just a little bit of um, your background and how you, sorry, your eyes got big, but you know, um, like both of us, just a brief kind of what your experience in faith was growing up and how you got to be a pastor at a Pentecostal church. Just, just to kind of yeah. let the audience know, we come from very different backgrounds in yeah. this regard. My eyes got big because I got excited about the okay, question. Okay, good. I was um, like, is he afraid? I thought this was... <laughs> no, I, I grew up... I am... I am. Um, so our our um, denomination is technically not a denomination. You've heard me say that before. Mm-hmm. We're a fellowship, and I've grown up within the fellowship of the Assemblies of God. So you cut me, and I bleed AG, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's... Um, my dad was in the Assemblies of God pastor. Um, when we moved to Fort Lauderdale, the first churches we attend were Assemblies of God churches. When I got saved, I got plugged into an AG youth group. Um, and why that matters is because the the distinction of Pentecostal, like, so I was brought up in an AG church. AG churches are mm-hmm. Pentecostal by nature. And so my theological background is one of an AG um, Pentecostal background. So... Um, Growing up, we lived on the far um, kind of, I don't want to use the word extreme because that always is, is met with such negative connotation. And I'm sure there was some stuff that wasn't on the up and up, but ultimately it was good. Like there was seasons of revival. Mm-hmm. Um, my father's church was just busting at the seams. They did citywide outreaches. New Bedford for Jesus was one that I remember at a young age. Everybody got printed t-shirts that said New Bedford <laughs> for Jesus. And there was hundreds of us on the street in parades and drawing people to um, tent revivals and people being miraculously healed. Mm-hmm. Um, outbursts of celebration um, is the way that I, I like to put it. And I think when I was younger, I thought, wow, these people are just this is crazy. And yet I was reminded even recently that so many of those people were being pulled out of such horrible life situations that what you saw was this overwhelming expression of joy, Mm -hmm. right? So we, there was 10 experiences and I can go on a tangent. This one, my eyes got big, so sorry. (laughs) But there was 10 experiences where I remember people walking in off the street drunk and by the time they left, they were stone cold savior, uh, uh, sober, gave their lives to the Lord um, we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. We're um, prophesying. Like there was just in, incredible moves of the Spirit uh, in this community uh, that I grew up with in, in New Bedford, Massachusetts. And then we moved to Fort Lauderdale. And then when I got older, um, I drift away from the faith. And kind of my testimony um, is that it was a public high school where I got saved. Mm-hmm. And a part of that testimony was I got saved um, while a medical science teacher was doing a study on John 3.16. She didn't call for an altar call. I just moved to the front of the room, which I'm sure (laughs) freaked her out. And, um, you know, I was also baptized in the Holy Spirit in that moment. And um, I'm sure I freaked out a bunch of the Baptist kids that were in the room. But um, (laughs) that's kind of my bent. So um, I have just been such a proponent. I... Like we can, I don't want to make this a, like a theological debate with mm-hmm. the, this podcast you can find on all that stuff. If you like debates, you can find podcasts that debate every issue that you can imagine. Um, but for me personally, um, I was just taken by the fact that 
so much of the book of Acts, so much of even, I mean, even the Old Testament speaks to this change in human history where the Spirit of God not only indwells in people, but empowers people, that if that's what the Bible was promising, I wanted some of that. Mm -hmm. So I've become enamored ever since with like, let's figure out how to communicate this in a way that doesn't weird people out. It's biblically sound. The theology is strong. I've, I've um, come into contact and, and have read some incredible Pentecostal theologians um, where we can make this tangible because I think what ends up happening is it becomes weird for so many people and they just would rather not deal with it. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like you're missing out on so much what the Lord has to offer. So that's kind of my background and what I bring to this um, to this moment and to this study. What about you? Yeah, it's basically the opposite. I mean, um, I was raised in a very traditional high church environment and um, in an Episcopal church, which in many ways was wonderful. And I, but I was taught by a Sunday school teacher. So I was always that kid, like always had her hand up in Sunday school. Like the first time I actually remember being self-conscious about like other kids and their perception of me was when someone made fun of me for always raising my hand first in Sunday school. But I just always just had this love of the Lord and curiosity to know the Lord better that I think is just a gift. Like yeah. I was just born with it. And, um, and so I had a Sunday school teacher who, poor thing, these are volunteers on a Sunday morning that I think I was in second or third grade. And I was just like, why don't we see miracles anymore? <laughs> like we read about in the Bible. And, um, and so that teacher's response to me was that the Holy Spirit only worked in that miraculous way through the duration of the disciples' um, lives. So while Jesus was on earth and then the disciples afterwards. And I think I was even like, gosh, I was such a sassy kid. I was like, well, Paul wasn't with Jesus. <laughs> like, um, but, but I just remember that, like, I listened to it and I accepted that to an extent because it was my teacher who was saying this thing. And I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I was pretty young. But I just remember always being a little bit like, it just didn't sit very well with me, yeah. um, but I didn't really know why, and it didn't stop me from growing in love of the Lord and and love of Scripture and time with God. Um, but then I also remember there was a guest speaker who came to our church, and I did not remember this until we were sitting down at this table like a minute ago while you wow. were sharing your story, and I was paying attention, but also remembering this. <laughs> That we had a guest speaker come from um, a church in Europe, and while he was speaking, several people there, I wasn't there, I was still a kid, um, this was an adult thing, several people there started speaking in tongues, um, like from our church body, and it was one of those things that like, it was scandalous, and I know it was scandalous, because <laughs> adults didn't really want to talk about it around me, and so I only caught like... <laughs> Only got clips of that. Mom, if you're watching, we might talk about this later. Um, but it, uh, most of those people ended up leaving and going to another church after that experience. And, um, and then I stopped being curious about it as much until in college, the Lord used several overseas short-term mission trips to call me to a season of moving overseas and, and really living as a missionary, I know we don't love that word, but that's essentially what it was. And it got to the point where what I was seeing just didn't line up with what that Sunday school teacher had told me. Like, I just, I was seeing people be healed. I was seeing people pray in the spirit. 
I was experiencing that peace of the presence of God and just seeing miracles over and over again. And it was just kind of like, there's no way that all of this is happening and it's not the Holy Spirit. And so that just led me to go on a season of really being curious. And thankfully, there were some other workers from other parts of the world who also lived in the same city as me who had a more Pentecostal background. And and so I actually found two of them that were really kind of safe people to talk to. I was already part of Center City Church at the time, yes, but it was harder to communicate back home, um, who really encouraged me to seek the Lord and um, to seek that baptism of the Spirit that I had not to that point experienced that I knew of. And and it was a slow process for me because I'm one of those people who does like control and I don't like to feel out of control even when I love God so much and know that he's trustworthy in my head. Um, But it was kind of through their discipleship over a season that then I was baptized in the Spirit in a park in a country that I won't name on this YouTube podcast. (laughs) Um, That's amazing. So technically, you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit overseas. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Why is it do you think, um, and maybe this is just, maybe this is just, uh, hyperbole and what we as believers tend to say, but most people like would say for some reason, the Holy Spirit seems to be more active overseas than here. Mm-hmm. Why do you, why do you think that is? Um, I think there are several reasons. I've thought about this a lot. Um, one of them is that it's just necessary. Like there's such an amount of faith required in some places, either because of what the, um, the physical, area is like, like the country that I lived in, in Africa dealt with a lot of drought, dealt with a lot of need for God's miraculous provision because it wasn't easy to go to a grocery store like we can do here. So in some ways, I think that the church needs that miraculous supernatural intervention more than we have set ourselves up to need that. Now I say that knowing 100% that we all need God's supernatural intervention, but we don't feel it in our physical needs every day the way that I've seen it there. And then also spiritually, I think that there, this it sounds weird to talk about spiritual warfare in this context, but I think that Satan works in different cultures in the way that the way that is most effective in that place. We are a very knowledge-based heady culture, whereas in other places, there's been a lot more spiritual warfare that manifests itself, more like you see in the Gospels. Like, I live next door to a witch doctor, and that brought a lot of different stuff. And so when you're experiencing supernatural, even in the community of people who don't know the Lord, then there's also this need to call on the Lord and see that supernatural power that we don't necessarily experience that type of spiritual warfare to the same extent popularly here in the U.S. I think it's there, but um, but that would be my kind of just layman's observations of living in several different places. Yeah, I've always found it interesting. I do think that there's something um, to the necessity, many times the necessity caused by persecution. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're being persecuted, there's a dependency that we have a luxury of kind of taking for granted. Um, when there's persecution, you don't have that luxury. So there's just a need to lean into Mm -hmm. all that the Lord has for us. Unfortunately, 
Um, for us, I think there's something we miss out on when we don't fully lean into. And it's been something that's been kind of grieving me in my, in my spiritual mm-hmm. life just because I know what the Holy Spirit has meant to me. And, and even that, you know, to say that I have fully stepped into all that God has for me, there are seasons where I do find myself leaning into the comforts of, you know, Western churchdom, for lack of a better term. Um, and I really do feel like there's a need in 2023 for return to leaning into all mm-hmm. that the spirit has to offer. And I believe that because there is such a strong, specifically right now, there seems to be such a strong fight, even within the church, to remove the spiritual gifts, to remove the baptism of the spirit as this thing we are offered in the book of acts like no that that's that's done that day is past we don't need those gifts anymore and i think some of that is is detrimental to the church moving forward yeah yeah um i will say though that as much as you see that i also just see a revival happening and in in spaces in the the church big c church that you wouldn't necessarily guess yes um but as much as there is some outward tension and um, debates and arguments about whether or not the Holy Spirit still gifts people, there's also just kind of a, a quiet move that almost feels like when the tide comes in and it's just like, you're not going to stop it. You can build a sandcastle with yeah. a, a moat around it or whatever, but that, that tide's going to keep moving. That's just what it does. And it feels like that's what's happening just in my conversations with some people. And from some of the, the mainline denominations mm-hmm. that you wouldn't necessarily guess. Yeah. Um, and it's exciting for sure. Yeah. I mean, even we'll get into the sermon, but I just remember my, um, my extended family comes from a Catholic background and there was just a really holy time at the end of my grandma's life where the family had gathered for the last couple of days that she was with us and her priest for years and years and years came too. And he was asking me what I did. And that was right as I was stepping into pastoral ministry here. And his first response to that, which I, I wasn't sure what it would be. He goes, Oh, our Pope is charismatic. And, um, and started talking about this move, even within Catholicism of Pentecostalism, charismatic, charismatic means gifts in Greek. So when you say someone's charismatic, it means they believe in the gifts gifts of the spirit and experience that. Um, As prescribed by Paul. Yeah. Which we'll talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for getting me back on track. Segways. um, (laughs) So so well done. Um, So we will get there, but I want to start first with what it means to be filled with the spirit, because what we see, we looked at the day of Pentecost um, in Acts one and two, and we see in this one moment, the spirit of God do kind of two things. So the first one that you talked about on Sunday and that I want to talk about now is what it means to be filled with the spirit. What, what does happen in that moment that someone becomes filled with the spirit? So, um, what we try to do was give a frame of reference for both of these experiences based off of what was prophesied, what was promised, and then what would be prescribed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it comes to the infilling of the Spirit, we have to go all the way back to Ezekiel to see the prophecy that there would be a day that the Spirit would dwell within the believer. Um, this is Im- it's an important distinction. We, we, you know, when, even when we read uh, through Samson in the life of Samson, uh, I think that was week three, mm-hmm. um, 
there was this distinction that the spirit of God would fall on Samson and it wasn't anything that he kept with him. It was something that was around him. Um, Jesus, when speaking about the infilling of the spirit, makes that distinction too. He says, I will ask the father and he will give you an advocate and he will never leave you. And then he goes on to say, because he will live, uh, he lives with you now and later he will be in you. So he's even speaking to his disciples like, look, you think you know the spirit now, but wait till he lives within you forever. Like you become a carrier of the Numor or Ruach and um, that, that your very person and being, you carry with you the spirit of God that leads and directs you into all truth. In Ezekiel, it was um, so that you will follow the decrees and obey my regulations. And then Paul's prescription um, to the Holy Spirit is in his infilling is that it, it produces these incredible fruits, right? Love, joy, peace, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I've tried my whole life to memorize these and I always, I always get to the point where I forget the other ones. But um, that in these fruits that are produced in you, all of these things are produced from the inside out. That's why mm -hmm. we believe that the infilling of the spirit is the way that the spirit of God, you know, what, what he uses to change us from right. the inside out. So peace isn't something that happens to us. It's something that happens in us. Joy isn't the product of something that is happening around us. It's a product of who is in us. And um, that the out, uh, that what happens on the inside, of course, then works its way out in us. So that, that's kind of what we believe the infilling of the spirit is, how it was prophesied, how it was promised, and how it was prescribed. Yeah, and one of the things that you kind of made a point about, in a little bit of a sassy way, but I appreciated it, um, you talked about how so many of us will learn, like, I'm this type of Enneagram and this personality type and... Um, almost use that as a way to not just differentiate ourselves from others, but excuse weaknesses in ourselves. And yet what we see in the infilling of the spirit is that that Numa is bringing the same fruit to every single one of us. Um, but having said that, there are times where like, even as someone who's walked with the Lord for a really long time, self-control is a challenge for me. Like, especially if there's some chocolate chip cookies nearby. Let's go. <laughs> chocolate chip cookies. Um, so what does it mean to be someone who is full with the Holy Spirit, but still struggling with some of these things that we see in this list? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think the, 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 the challenge is, although these things live in us, it doesn't mean we're exempt from the influences that are outside of us, mm -hmm. right? So it is tough to live life in a place of peace when there's war. Mm -hmm. It is tough to be kind when I'm being treated like trash. It is tough to be gentle when everyone around me has angered me, right? Mm -hmm. So like the, it's not that it's in you, is that the, it's not in you, is because it is, that the issue is that the external things have shown themselves to, to try to influence you. And, you know, we talked about it last week, Paul is really clear, there are always two natures within us and we will have to choose which one we follow after, right? Like you're either following after your sinful nature or following after the spirit of God or Ruach of Nua mm -hmm. that's, that's within you. So there are seasons where um, you're not experiencing peace, but it's probably because you are choosing to listen to the sinful nature, choosing to be a little bit more influenced by external things instead of relying on what you know and leaning into the fullness of who he is in you. 
I've always loved when it comes to these things that often when we're talking about the description of our savior, like he is the prince of peace, meaning he distributes peace as he feels necessary, right? And Mm -hmm. then he turns around and says, no, no, peace now lives within you. So John, I'm not a peaceful person. Well, regardless if you are a peaceful person or not, the, uh, the, the potential of peace is now placed within you because the spirit of God, the, the Ruach, the Numa lives within. You have to choose to lead into that mm-hmm. peace. And, and if you're not, if you're allowing the tensions on the outside, if you're following after the sinful nature, of course you can shut down that peace. But it doesn't mean that it's not there and it's waiting for you to lean into, you know, um, we've been, we'll talk illustrations back and Mm -hmm. forth through this. But one of the ones that was given to me at a young age is there are two dogs within you and the one that wins is the one you feed, right? So like if you allow the spirit of God within you to be what you are guided by and listen to and move and obey, it will grow. There's a growing, it's a, it's a lessening of me and a growing of the spirit mm-hmm. of God within me. The spiritual nature becomes like, I want to starve out my sinful man. I want my sinful man to be anemic. I want my sinful man to be weak and broken. And I know that it's not until I cross to the other side of glory that I won't have to worry about that thing. But I want it to be weak within me mm-hmm. that in that war, in that fight, there's not even a question. So um, I do think that when we don't feel that peace, that joy, when we're not leaning into that kindness and goodness, we have to make better decisions to lean towards the spirit and away from the from the sinful nature. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, would you say that this work, this fruit of the spirit, as we call it, is um, like I think of it as slow and steady versus like, Sometimes it's immediate, but I also feel like some of this is a transformation that takes place over the course of a lifetime. Do you think that's fair to say? Uh, yes, yes and no. I do think mm-hmm. that um, there are moments where we see supernatural peace stepping in, mm-hmm. right? Um, I've had several experiences in my life where you would think the news that I'm receiving would bring turmoil. And although it brought sadness and it was left us heavy, what we didn't feel uh, was chaos. We felt the peace of God step in. So there are moments where yeah. I believe the spirit breathes and brings supernatural uh, joy and peace and, and, and brings that, that, um, that, ju- that, that kindness that we're, we're longing for. So I do think that there are moments where it's kind of like fanning a flame, mm-hmm. right? Like um, if you've ever been at a campsite, there's times where you fan the flame and it's not that even he's pouring anything new and he's just fanning to flame that thing that's in you. But it doesn't mean that you don't have to do the work of bringing more wood to continually build that flame, right? Like I I want that flame to be roaring in me and that flame works for a moment and there there are moments where the spirit of God comes in and you experience that joy. But if you're careful to build that fire, right? If you make the decisions that are necessary to continue to build that spirit that's within you and, and, and not feed that sinful nature, I do believe that there's joy to be found and peace mm-hmm. to be found, that it's overflowing, that your, your kids and your coworkers and your friends will begin to notice the joy of the Lord, the peace of the Lord, the strength of the Lord coming out of you. Yeah, we were talking about something similar in um, Freedom Group last week, and someone was remarking that as they looked back on who they used to be, they could see this like transformation to gentleness yeah. that they didn't necessarily notice 
dramatically in a day-to-day, but it was just a, oh, well, when I think about who I was five years ago and who I am now, there's clear evidence that God's spirit has been working in my life. And um, I, I love that God does both. Well, I, I think also, too, there's a difference between experiencing and becoming, mm-hmm. right? I do think that over time, our very nature is transformed. So we can experience in a moment, but then again, the longer we are, we do the right thing and lean into the leading of the spirit, the more peace becomes a part of our nature, becomes a part of who we are, eventually leading to the place that people are like, man, you just, whenever you're around, there there seems to be peace in a room or whenever you're Mm -hmm. around, there seems to be joy in a room. And it gives us another opportunity to be um, barringers of that witness that this is only because of Jesus. You should have met me five years ago. You should have met me two years ago. Um, I think that that's critical. Yeah, I love that. Um, So we've got that. We call that the infilling of the spirit. And then the other thing that we see happening, I hesitate to call it second. We're talking about it second, but it was it was all at the same time kind of in this story in Acts is we see the spirit baptizing us. And, um, and that's why I kind of brought up our history ahead of time because that term baptism in the Holy spirit can carry some different connotations depending on where you come from, um, and kind of what your faith background is, but put as simply as possible, which I know it's impossible to totally simplify God who defies our ability to fully understand. How would you describe baptism in the Holy Spirit? Well, um, this is actually not as difficult. It's just, it's easy to explain and tough to accept. That mm-hmm. That's just the mm-hmm. truth of it, right? So according to what we see, again, prophesied about the baptism of the Spirit, John the Baptist makes that infamous comment where he says, there is one who's coming whose sandals I'm unfit to tie um, or carry, and he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire the way that I've baptized in water. So if we take that as the baseline, the baseline is John's baptism in water, and John's baptism in the water was a baptism of full submersion. P.S. If you're a Center City person, we're baptizing in the next Woo-hoo. two weeks. We're excited. We got next like four week? people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is dropping Sunday. Wednesday. We're baptizing on Sunday. Super excited about that. So, um, oh man, that means I got a bunch of stuff to do. Yep. Yep. Um, so, <laughs> uh, I, I, I think from the origin point of our understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit begins with this idea of full submersion Mm -hmm. where the infilling fills us. The baptism means that we're surrounded by, um, that we're submerged in. And then when Jesus speaks about it, he again uses John the Baptist's picture of water baptism as the baseline. As John baptized in water, I will baptize you in fire. And then again, as Paul prescribes it, it is this overwhelming this overall changing uh, of who we are and it equips us with these gifts by which then we can be witnesses and there's a real intentionality to to the baptism of the spirit so really if we're applying that as a baseline what we know about the baptism of the spirit is that there are uh, distinct moments where the spirit of god fills to overflow and we are baptized surrounded Mm -hmm. by the spirit and in those moments we are equipped with these incredible gifts to be his witnesses yeah i love i love 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 the illustration that you used like it's so obvious that it's kind of like why did i never think of it before but you talked about tools um will you explain a little bit the gifts that come with baptism in the spirit from that perspective of them being like tools in a tool shed 
Yeah, so if you walk into my dad's tool shed now, um, you're going to find my dad has a significant amount of tools for all things. My dad's like a consummate um, tool, the, the Tim the Toolman Taylor. Like he just <laughs> knows how to fix stuff, house stuff, car stuff. And based off what is on his tool bench, you know what his intentions are. You walk into my tool shop and it's actually probably a little sad. Um, I'm not, I didn't get that bug from my dad. But if you walk into my my um, my office, you'll find my tool sets are different. They're spray cans and paintbrushes and um, bags of clay. <clears throat> my brother Ray, who works with HVAC, if you walk into his, his tool shed, you're going to find tools that are applicable for HVAC. If Ashley was a blacksmith, you could tell by walking into her tool shop and seeing all of those blacksmithing tools or glass blowing tools or pottery tools, just depending on what it is that you're going to do. So often you can tell the intention of the craftsman based off of the tools that he's equipped with. And what the spirit of God equips us with is wise advice, knowledge, great faith, healing, prophecy, miracles, discernment, speaking in unknown tongues, the translation of that speaking in unknown tongues. And, and in every one of these gifts, what we find is that the intentionality of them is that we would, again, these gifts are intended for others. They're mm -hmm. not intended for us. So if the infilling of the Holy Spirit is in order to lead us to righteousness, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to what Paul prescribes in 1 Corinthians, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in order for us to bring change to the world. And the way that we do that is fully leaning into the purpose uh, of being his witnesses. Yeah. So why do you think that when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, all of us receive the same fruit. And when it comes to the baptism of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit, people receive different gifts. Um, I don't know how to answer that as it pertains to the why, but can I tell you, it's one of the things that excites me uh -huh. about the spirit of God, because I, you know, I, I think there's this tension that we, we carry, like we put ourselves at too high of a pedestal. And then there's times where we like, demote ourselves to the point that we're not valued in the equation at all. When it comes to the gift of the spirit, what it reminds me is that the spirit of God knows us so well, he equips us with what we can do. Mm -hmm. um, if you gave me some of the tools in my dad's workshop, I would make a mess. Not just not accomplishing the job, but potentially harming myself. Oh yeah, I would probably burn it down. Right? So... <laughs> Um, I do believe that this gives space for the spirit of God saying, no, no, I know you better than you know yourself. So mm -hmm. I'm going to distribute these tools as I feel necessary. Not only did I know you, but I also know the time and the culture I'm sending you to. Because mm -hmm. I do think that there are moments where some of these are more applicable than others, um, where wise advice and knowledge may be more critical to moving that needle for the sake of the people that are around you. Because again, these gifts are for others and they're not for you, than maybe a miracle or a prophecy. So like the fact that the spirit knows that and understands who you are, I also believe that. Um, it's not like he equips just once with one gift. Mm -hmm. I do believe that there are seasons where we walk and operate in and out of these gifts based off of the spirit's leading and the spirit understanding what we need for the moment. Yeah. I feel like there's got to be part of it too that is the fact that God designed us for community and God designed us to need each other. Because some yeah. of these gifts you even see in that list in, um, we're in 1 Corinthians 12, where it talks about like one person might have that gift to speak in another language and then another person have that gift to interpret or one person have might have that gift of prophecy and another one the ability to weigh and know if that's from the spirit of god or from a different spirit like 
that he, that he's designed us in his wisdom that it's not like one person's getting all of these but they're designed to work in tandem so like yeah. as he knows us and gifts us in our context he knows and gifts the people he's placed around us and all of that works together for the same purpose which I think it's beautiful. I think it also points us back to the purpose and makes the purpose um, the motivation to mm -hmm. the tool. Because I think if the gift was just everybody gets the same gift, I think, or give, gets this one gift, I think all of us would be striving for and it. The gift almost becomes the intention. Mm -hmm. It becomes the motivation where I do think Jesus is really clear that although we're giving you this gifts, here's the reason for it. And he really does prescribe a reason and a motivation. Our motivation is not to pursue the gifts for gift's sake, but that those gifts would lead us to the purpose he's calling us to. Yeah. And what is that purpose? Um, so, um, <laughs> Again, back in that passage in Acts, when he first initially, where Jesus tells them to wait, he says that I'm going to make you my witness. And we did a little bit this week of unwrapping that word mm -hmm. witness, which can be translated as um, in, in the Greek as martis, which is the same word used for martyr. So what we find in the book of Acts is it's not just used both ways, but it's almost used interchangeably. Um, there is this intention that you would be empowered to witness, but that it would cost you your life. Mm -hmm. And then again, so I, I read something like that and I'm like, I, I am just as a little, um, you know, nugget of how to navigate scripture. I never want to just say, oh, well, that sounds great, but I'm going to accept that as full truth without doing deep dives into scripture to see what the whole of scripture says about this concept. And Jesus makes this commandment. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for me, you'll find it right. Mm -hmm. Paul and Galatians, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of the sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. So there is this idea that if I'm going to be a witness of the, of, of all that God has, if I'm going to utilize these gifts that he's equipped me to, I have to be willing to lay my life down in order to be a firm witness of all that Jesus is and all that he has for humanity. And I believe ultimately that is our purpose, that we would be <clears throat> barringers of the hope and purpose that Jesus brings, that we would communicate that, um, not just with our words, but through these gifts, that it would draw people to hear of the love that Jesus has. Yeah, I love the way that we practice water baptism when it comes to this idea, because the reason that we do baptism by immersion is that that like fully going under the water is symbolizing your death. Like yeah. you're laying down your life, dying to self, and then you come back up raised in Christ. And so then I love that when you take this picture of baptism in the Holy Spirit, there's that same element of... Yes. I am choosing to become a martyr or witness. I am laying down my life so that the Holy Spirit can use me to whatever purposes with, with whatever gifts he sees fit, not whatever purposes, one purpose, but whatever context, like however he chooses to use me um, to let other people know the goodness of God. I don't want it to sound like whatever purpose. Yeah, it's yeah. a pretty specific purpose. No, there is one purpose. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think it's important because we do, um, we, we have fallen in love culturally with this idea that there's a unique purpose to each and every one of us. There's like a unique calling to each and every one of us. And yet really, I understand kind of some of the context of that statement. And yet 
what I read in scripture is that all of us are called to be witnesses, mm -hmm. that we were called to reach Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, that we would be actively engaged in the expansion of the kingdom of God for his namesake. That's the purpose. Yeah. He's the purpose. His gospel is the reason. Um, everything else is just unique in the beauty of God working within the uniqueness of who I am. So mm -hmm. whether that's him using your artistic artistry or him using your propensity for numbers or him using your organizational skills, all of us are called to use all that he's given us, empowered by his spirit in order to point people to who mm -hmm. he is. Yeah. So we've wrapped up this series. Yes. And I know you... Ideally, everyone will take away every single thing that was said in any message or podcast. But if you could, like, if there were one or two things that you really hope that people hold on to as we move away from talking about the Ruach of God every Sunday morning, what would those be? It's a great question. Um, I, I think my hope was really that people would walk away with the understanding of how the Ruach of God from the very beginning was intended to create closer relationship with mm -hmm. the Father so that they have a better understanding of the Spirit of God. It's not weird. It's not this thing that they have to conjure up. It's not this thing that requires a seminary degree to understand, but it's palatable to the point that you can have a relationship with the Spirit of God in your everyday. If, if they walked away from this series with an ear that's tuned finer to the voice of God and to His leading and to His stirring— I think we win. So that was really kind of my hope and, you know, still my prayer for us as a church as a whole, that people would be more in tune with the spirit of God and more open to all that he has, not just what I understand, but the things that I don't even understand. Yeah. I love it. Um, I didn't ask you about this beforehand, but um, do you know where we're headed this week? Yeah, I'm excited. This is, we're stepping into giving season. Thanksgiving is kind of the the, the next major holiday, and I just skip over Halloween because it's... By the time this drops, Halloween will be over. Yeah, and just be honest, it's just a lot of work. Halloween's just a lot of work. Just <laughs> so much candy. I got to pay so much money to give candy to random strangers. Just, I don't know. I'm such a... <laughs> Yeah, I'm Grumpy such a Scrooge man. when it comes to <laughs> Halloween. Um, but I do have a good time with friends. We always do something silly. But anyway, um, Thanksgiving's right around the corner. Mm -hmm. And uh, just what a great chance as a church to sit back. And we're going to get a chance to introduce people to some of our partners, which I think I'm really excited about. It's like, you know how you have friends that you know would make good friends if they just met? Mm -hmm. I'm just really excited to introduce all of our church family to some of our partners from at a deeper level. You know, our, our partners, we're, we're pretty clear about who they are and um, when we give and, and what it looks like. But some of these people are doing such incredible things in our city. It's just a great chance. And this Sunday, I'm really excited because we start with Urban Promise, one of our closest partners. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be awesome. So we'll be right back here Sunday morning, 9 a.m. and 11 in purpose, in purpose, in person, in person, streaming online at 11. And we hope to see you then. Mm -hmm.